Welcome today to our midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. I am very happy that you're here. I want to invite you, grab your Bibles, and today let's go to Luke, the third chapter, and let's talk about this area of the voice of the Lord, the Word of God coming to you in a very unusual place, the place of the wilderness. Praise God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we go into your Word, that the eyes of our understanding be illuminated. We ask for prophetic sight, eagle-type spiritual vision, and Father, as the sons of Issachar knew the times and seasons, the spiritual times and seasons, we pray also that we are able to pick up on your heartbeat as well, what you're doing, what you're focusing, and help us to dig deeper in order to find that main thrust of your Spirit. Now, Father, we thank you for your help in Jesus' name, and we all pray and agree and say amen. Now, verse 1, now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iterea, and the region of Trichonitis and Lysimus, Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priest. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, so you have governmental structure revealed in the local authorities, and then you have represented the very high religious authorities through the high priest. You have Annas and Caiaphas, and it says, in contrast to that, now you have to note the extreme contrast that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing here. This is done on purpose. And it says here in verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So you have Jerusalem, and you have all of the religious activity taking place there, which is logical because that's where the temple is at. And then you have all of the Roman influence because ancient Israel at that time, its boundary, and also far beyond that boundary, were under the control of the Roman Empire. Of course, the Jews didn't like that. Nobody likes to be forced into captivity and subjugated to ideologies and rules and uh, so much other religious culture that's going to be pressed upon you in an effort to get you to conform to that, but it's just the way it was. You could say they were under the nose of Rome, and Rome had a very big nose. Now, in contrast with all of this and the great influence of Rome and various cities uh, being governed through these Roman uh, authorized officials, and then all of the hubbub and all of the religious activity going on in Jerusalem. You would think that God doesn't even speak outside of Jerusalem. That's where the temple is at. But we have the most unusual statement here that it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, 
of course, his father also being involved in temple service. But yet John, it came to him, the word came to him in the wilderness. So this is a dramatic break from what we would call the orthodox way of doing things or the expected way of doing things. We see just in this verse one, political structure and within our nation. And of course, many other nations of the world, you see all of the political elements, what can happen. And so often does is that politics and what's going on in the politics with the hustle and the bustle and the jostling for position and things like that. Often that can creep into the church where the church itself can become bogged down. It can become like a swamp. It can become engaged in church politics. It's different from, uh, you know, the normal worldly type politics of trying to get a political office. Uh, but the same type of jostling and the same type of uh, you know, clamoring for the microphone or wanting the attention or wanting to be the predominant party or the predominant ministry and on and on it goes. A lot of that can be seen in the church. Praise the Lord. And I think it's fascinating that God was not speaking in the normal way, but the word came to John where way out in the wilderness now, how did the word come? Uh, it doesn't really tell us. Uh, did it come through an angel? Did it come through a voice? Did it come through uh, some other form of communication? We don't really know. All we know is that it came. He heard it. He understood it. He knew his assignment, and he was on it, and he was doing a really good job. So the word of the Lord can come to you, particularly in the wilderness situations, I would call them out-of-the-box type situations where you get away from the clutter. It doesn't mean you have to physically get away, but you have to be able to realize that there is so much clamoring to be heard and to get beyond all of the voices and all the stuff that's on the airwaves naturally and spiritually you're going to have to get real quiet. And that's why a wilderness scenario, a wilderness setting can be very, very beneficial. Now, one time when we led a tour to Israel, we went down to the Dead Sea area and you get to a place eventually called Kumarin. And uh, if you've read about the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in these caves and, you know, been there for, you know, hundreds and some thousands of years. It was one of the greatest discoveries in the archaeology realm of all time. Fascinating stuff. I love all of that. But also, when you go down there, it's just a very remote place. And you had the Essenes that were living there. And you had basically what we would call a monastic type group, uh, a, a, a splinter group that broke away from all of the religious activity in Jerusalem, which in many ways was so full of tradition and so full of a lot of baloney that there were those who just got fed up with it and said, you know what, this is, this thing has turned into a machine and we just want to get separated and we want to get back to God. We want to get close to God and uh, skip all of this, the circus that it seems to have turned into. Well, 
some people, some theologians even say that perhaps John could have been raised there, taught there by the Essenes. We don't know that, and I'm, I'm not really convinced of that myself, but I would probably think that he did know them, and they knew him, because John was down in that part of the neck of the woods, as we would say. He was in the wilderness. And so when we had a tour, and we went to Coomeran, I remember one time that while we kind of just lingered there because of the beauty of, of the desert, the remoteness, you, you're certainly out of, out of Jerusalem, and you know, you have the Dead Sea, and you have a beautiful view of that, and it's just desert. It's just raw desert. That while we were there, the most ravishing fragrance supernaturally began to manifest. And it was one of the most beautiful fragrances I have ever smelt in my life. And it was, it was thick and it was heavy. And I was like, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And, and uh, Pastor Kelly, she picked it up immediately. Uh, some others uh, that were uh, hanging around towards the back of the, of the tour group line, they began to pick it up. Uh, it was really uh, quite beautiful. Well, I believe that there is something special about drawing near to the Lord and getting real quiet and digging deeper to hear not just what all the prophets are saying in Jerusalem, but what is God really saying from a wilderness perspective? What is He saying that would be the full unbridled truth that would cut through all the chatter and give you the clarity that you need to know what is really going on. I believe God has a word for you in the wilderness. Praise God. Now, let me say this concerning the wilderness or the authentic experience with God. There are many in the church that love the Lord, but they actually prefer what I would call the circus. They prefer the hype or the machine, and they like all of that. They actually think that's what it's all about. Uh, you and I know that's not the heart of Christianity, but there are those that they're like, they don't care if it is the heart or not. They like it, and they want that uh, to keep on going to feed them with uh, whatever euphoria that gives them, and so they don't even really have an interest in knowing what is the true word of the Lord? They have no desire for some separation to get alone with God, to hear what is God really saying? Well, my friends, that's, that's something that we have to realize hasn't changed. Let me give you an example. It says here in verse 3 that he, that would be John, he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So here he is around that southern area of Jordan. Here's just a classic example of how this works. When you take a tour to Israel, they will offer you the opportunity to go to the baptismal site where perhaps you yourself would like to be baptized in the Jordan River. And the spot they will offer you in the spot that most tour groups go to is a place that is at the south end of the Sea of Galilee. And I must admit, it is absolutely beautiful. I've, I've seen it, have driven right past it. 
the water is uh, it's a very nice green color there. It's, it's not like a green slime. It's like a green blue. It's very, very pretty. And it's at the south end of the Sea of Galilee, and it's called, it's called Yardanit. And that is the place where most people go. And the walkways down into the water are very, very uh, nice. Uh, you have uh, all the, the towels and the robes and all, you know, all the things you can buy, all the accessories. And it is very, very pretty. It's a beautiful place. And the Jordan River in and of itself is beautiful. But that place is very nice. But here's the catch. John was never baptizing there. And Jesus never was, Jesus didn't get baptized at that location. Nothing happened there historically at that location at all. But that's where so many, for whatever reason, still want to go. (laughs) I find it uh, uh, very, very interesting. Now, it is a clean site. It is a beautiful site. But historically, nothing biblically ever happened there. Okay. Now, for those of you that just, for whatever reason, you want what's real. You want what's authentic. You want to cut through the chatter. You want to cut through maybe the circus or the, or the stuff on the tour that's not even real. They're going to take you there, but hey, this, this is not even the real site. Why are we going here? Oh, well, this is just what we do. Well, let's, let's just mark that off our tour. We don't want to do that. And that's what we do on our tours. If it's not authentic, we don't want to see it. Why? It's a waste of time. It's, it's not, it didn't happen there. So why pretend that it did? Why pretend this is the word when it's not? (laughs) And I'm not saying that's not a good word, but I'm saying we must have authenticity. We must know the real thing. Praise God. And if you dig enough, you actually can discover it. Well, the, the real site of where John was doing his baptisms and the actual site where Jesus came to be baptized by John at, it was reopened in 2011. And before that, it had been closed for 42 years. And they had to close it because it was a dangerous area. It was a military zone. But the problem they had was all the landmines that were just everywhere out in the desert. So, you know, this is not like a place where you could get off the bus uh, go see the site and maybe just walk around. Well, you could walk around, step on a landmine. So they had to uh, clear all of those landmines and make sure there was nothing left over from the elements of war that could hurt or maim somebody. And so they eventually got that area cleaned up. But this site also really is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you have to go far south and you travel and you travel and you get there. And it's fascinating. Now, the site is called by the Jordanians the Kasser El Yahud. Now remember, the Jordan River actually is a boundary line marker. On, on one side you've got Israel, and on the other side you have the nation of Jordan. So on the Hebrew side, this place of the authentic site is called Bethabara, and it means in Hebrew the place of crossing. Now, having been there multiple times, let me tell you this about the authentic site and why a lot of tour groups pass by it and don't want to go there. The moment you get to the real site, the first thing you'll notice is the overwhelming presence. Oh, Pastor Stephen, the presence of God? No, the presence of flies. And I don't really know why. They're everywhere. 
they'll land all over your face, all over your arms, all over your legs. And it's not like it's dangerous or bad. It's just weird. And you think, why are all of these flies here? And uh, they're, they're flying around all over the place. Maybe somebody needs to get some bug spray. And I don't know why they're there, but they are there. But if you want to see the real spot and go to the real location, the flies will be the first ones there to greet you. And that alone is why some would prefer the northern place, way up north, just below the uh, Sea of Galilee. They'd rather go up there. No flies. No flies at all. But that's not the real place. So let's go for the authentic. Okay, so you have the flies, and they're all over the place too. Um, Next, you'll know that it's not nearly as nice as far as presentation as compared to the fake site up north. But when you get to the Jordan and you see it, the water is not the beautiful kind of green turquoise looking water, green blue. Uh, It's actually brown and it looks just like chocolate milk. Now, they say that the water is tested daily and I believe that. And although it's brown, it, there's nothing detrimental to your health if you go into the brown water. So it's not like this is some kind of a, you know, a pollution or sewage or something like that. It's not. It's actually very clean, but it's picking up a lot of minerals as it gets further south. And those minerals are carried into the water and it gives them, it gives the Jordan that brown look. And there's a lot of people, they don't want that. That doesn't look good on camera. We don't want brown water. We want the green blue water. Well, you know, if you don't want the authentic, there's always something else out out there that's willing to uh, present itself to you. So uh, there are those elements of why certain people don't want the real place. Uh, the real place also, uh, you know, there's no stores around it. It's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But this is the real site where John was baptizing. This is the real site where John baptized Jesus. This is also the same exact site where the Israelites crossed over. Now Moses had died, and under the new leadership of Joshua, Joshua leads them into the promised land. That place where Jesus was baptized is the exact same spot where the Israelites crossed the Jordan into the promised land. Now, we also know that's where the the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they got into that water with their feet, the water backed up all the way to a small town called Adam. But all of that happened at the authentic site there at that place. Right in that area, not in that exact spot, but about two miles north is the location where the prophet Elijah released the mantle to his young mentor, his protege, Elisha. And that happened all right in that area. And so if you don't go to that area, you miss all of that. (laughs) And so (laughs) there's a lot of people that say, well, I don't care. I'll just give me somewhere else that's got the bells and whistles and kind of maybe will recreate the, the atmosphere, although it's not real. You could only get the real atmosphere in the real place. Praise the Lord. And I'm not saying God can't speak to you in the city. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I am trying to say that if you really want to know what God is up to and you're not satisfied 
with all of the religious activity and what it's generating or producing or saying, I would simply say, dig deeper and you can find the true word of the Lord. Praise God. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, not in Jerusalem, not something that was published on the Jerusalem post or put all over social media. It came to John in the wilderness and he had the word. And as he began to preach, it began to bring the people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And it was a different type of word, but it was the word of the Lord for that hour. It was a very strong word centered around repentance. Verse 12, it says, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized there at the Jordan River, and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now, there are preachers that would probably try to work that situation. There are preachers that maybe uh, would talk to a really, uh, how can we say, famous tax collector and say, hey, come over here to the side for a minute. I want to talk to you. Um, is, there, or is there some things we could do to work out where, you know, as far as taxing goes, maybe you could just pass me by and I could lay hands on you in front of the people, give you a blessing, but then you could exempt me personally from personal taxes and, uh, you know, just don't report me and my, my income uh, to the government. Uh, can, can we work something out over here on the side? So uh, stuff like that happens. I've, uh, I've seen ministers under tremendous pressure because they have done things on their taxes and then they've had a scare and thought they were about to get caught and you talk about pressure because they know if they get caught, they're going to, they're going to go to prison. And so, um, and plus, you know, have to pay all the money back that they, that they were not paying. I'm not talking about ministry or corporate taxes because most ministries are tax exempt under 501c3 status. But still as an individual, like even like myself, on individual money, on personal money, you have to pay taxes on that. But there are certain preachers that... Uh, they just thought they didn't want to do that. And so when you compromise yourself like that and compromise the word, you can never minister with clarity or accuracy. You can swing an ax, but it'll be so dull. It won't cut anything. So if you're going to preach it, you have to live it. And John was living it. And so the tax collectors show up and he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Can you imagine John the Baptist type preachers today? And let, let's say you have the word and you're, you've heard from God and you're ministering that word. And what if in your meeting, which is out in the desert or out in the boonies somewhere, what if in your meeting, here comes some famous politicians and they say, you know what, Mr. Preacher, wow, you sure have preached a strong message. And I tell you what, we know we're not living the way we should what do we need to do? And what, what would it be for a preacher? And by the way, this, this is a real prophet, not somebody who's going to take advantage of that situation for their own personal gain, but would tell a person honestly the truth and say, stop taking all of these bribes. Stop taking money from all of these special interest groups. Stop taking money from George Soros. Stop selling yourself for money so that you can just 
pad your own wallet, serve the people, serve the people, uphold the constitution, uphold the laws of your country. Woo. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't want a prophet like that. Well, you know, um, the Lord has them. The Lord has his prophets. And there are those you'd be surprised if you really serve the truth straight. They actually want to be told the truth. They actually want to get their lives right. But if the political machine is running, not just in politics, but if the political machine is running in the church, the, the true word is often circumvented. It will go somewhere else. It's not going to play that game. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. How many more prayer meetings the churches have to have when before they realize that, hey, where's the pastor? How come the pastor never comes to the prayer meetings? See, this is all the politics in the church where they expect others to do as they say, but don't do as I do. Why? Because they don't pray. <laughs> There's a lot of pastors have no prayer life at all. They are very good administrators and they do have a call. But as far as being a spiritual person, uh, that's something on the box they can't check off because they have no prayer life and they don't plan on changing. But my friends, the word is coming to those whose hearts are removed from all of the religious uh, hype, the circus, and so forth. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone. And, and of course, they could. They, they had authority. They could, they could mess you around. They could <laughs> and plus, they have weapons. And you're not allowed to have the weapons. And so uh, things could get, could get ugly really quick. And what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. Because they could certainly do that. And there's not much you could do about it. If they wanted to throw you in prison, they could. Well, you could say, well, I have my rights. They could say, well, yeah, but, you know, we have ways of uh, suppressing your rights. And, you know, you're outnumbered. And they've got more money. And they've got... They've got uh, the authorities behind them. So you could see how they could very easily, excuse me, easily abuse their position. And obviously they have. That's why, that's why John said that. Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Wow. Praise the Lord. So he was just honest. He told them the truth. And he had an independence. Now that doesn't mean that he did not submit to true authority. That is a hallmark of humility, is to, to submit to true authority. But John had to get away from Jerusalem. He had to get away from all of that so that he could not be in a place where he's controlled by voices or by individuals who would like to turn him into a puppet. Praise God. Don't let, don't let anybody turn you into a puppet where you become a yes man or a yes woman when you really want to say no, but you're forced to say yes. You're forced to go along with it and don't ever rock the boat. That's a bad situation. You can have some independence and God will honor that. God will support that. If something else has become your source, uh, you're, you're, 
you know, that, that you're in a place where you're, you're provoking the jealousy of God. Mm, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God should always be your source. Yes, you thank God for your, your employer. You thank God, you know, for the different mediums and platforms He works through to bless you. But you must remember that God can take care of you. God is the one that's blessing you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And, and so we should honor the Lord. Praise God. You know, um, I enjoyed the story that Arthur Burt told about the time there was a, a really strong revival that took place in a very unorthodox church in a very unorthodox way. Matter of fact, Arthur Burt, who lived to be 103, he passed away a few years ago. He said that the church that this revival broke out in was a church that he actually used to pastor. And he said that when he was the pastor, he didn't enjoy pastoring there. And the young people, there was a group of young people, not that large, but a small group of young teenagers that had zero interest in God, none, zero interest. And so uh, Arthur Burt, eventually, he's, he goes to pastor a different church but he hears about a revival. And he said, well, where, where's the revival at? And the people said, oh, it's over at that church. And he said, no, hold on just a moment. I used to pastor that church. There's no way there could be a revival there. Well, guess what? There was a revival. And guess, guess who God was mainly working through. Now, yes, God's working through the pastor, but he had his hand on one individual in a very special way. You know who it was? It was a young teenage girl that while Arthur Burt was the pastor, she would sit in the back and chew gum and smack gum and just look down and look, roll her eyes and had no interest in the message at all. And so when they told him that, oh, God's working through her, he's like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And it actually made him angry. So he went to his old church that he had formerly pastored to check it out for himself. And there was a meeting going on at night. So he went to the night meeting. He said when he walked through the doors into the sanctuary, when he said he, when he opened the doors, it, he said it was like walking suddenly into a furnace. There was a presence of God that was so overwhelming and so powerful that you couldn't deny that God was there. But he said I, he was still angry. He said he was angry. There's no way that God would work through a young person like that, especially that young person, chewing gum and you know, uh, never paying any attention to any of his sermons or anything like that. So he was mad. <laughs> and um, so he's standing over on the side, observing all of this. And God was moving and God was actually working through that young teenage girl. Uh, when he had come in, he was working through her through the gift of prophecy. And so she began to prophesy to people and she's coming towards him. Now, the whole time she's doing this, her eyes are closed, and she is so yielded to the Holy Spirit that even with her eyes closed and people that are laid out all over the floor, laid out in the glory, she's stepping over them. She's not tripping over anybody. She's not stumbling. She's being led by the Holy Spirit, and she comes up to him, and as she's coming up to him, Arthur Birch said he was so angry, still so mad. How could this be? How could this be? <laughs> and she reached out <laughs> and touched him. And when she touched him, the power of God hit him so strong 
it totally, completely knocked him out. And it knocked out all of that bitterness and hatred and all of that resentment. And he got up a changed man. And he was then 100% behind that move of God. Oh, oh, but word began to get out that, oh, there was a true move of God, like out in the Jordan, so to speak, because this was not in, you know, th this was kind of like out of the realm of the big churches and the, you know, uh, all of the, uh, the famous churches and so forth. So eventually word got up to headquarters, <laughs> to the dominational headquarters about this so-called move of God. So the, the very head of the denomination over all of the churches there in Great Britain that belong to this denomination. Maybe I'll just tell you who it was. It was Assemblies of God, and it was Donald G., who was the man over all the churches, all the Assemblies of God in Great Britain. He went to go check it out himself, and he took a bunch of his bigwigs, a bunch of his uh, yes-men with him. <laughs> and so they went into that meeting, not that very night, it was sometime later. They arrive, show up, you know, uh, and they go into the meeting you know, with the look of like, you know, we're here to take over and all that stuff. And so uh, here, here comes the Spirit of God moving again. He moves upon that same young teenage girl whose father, if I'm correct, was an alcoholic and had beaten her many times. And the very fact that she would have to go home at night after these glory meetings, these incredible meetings, and go back to a house uh, that was... Uh, oh, the stuff going on in the home was horrible. That's a different story. But God had his hand on this young girl. In comes Donald G. with his whole entourage. And she yields to the Holy Spirit. She starts walking, doesn't start stepping over people, doesn't even know where she's going. And she comes up to him, doesn't even know who it is because her eyes aren't open. Maybe that could help some of you prophesy a little better. Praise the Lord. Just close your eyes and go for it. <laughs> Instead of looking at them thinking, oh, I've got to get a good word for this person. Well, why not just say what God would have you say? Well, that's what she did. And she stood before this person, not knowing who it was because her eyes are closed. And she said, thus saith the Lord, you are a proud, proud man. Now, I'm not talking about like a good type of pride. We're talking about arrogant, you know, boastful. And she under the anointing laid into him and just, just, I mean, it was like cut, cut, slice, dice, cut. I mean, it was, it was a severe word of rebuke and correction. And his yes men got so angry and said, they were just like, who does she think she is? Doesn't she know who she's speaking to? And he, Mr. Donald G said, men, leave her alone. Everything she has said is true. Leave her alone. Woo! <laughs> well, I, I don't want words like that, Pastor Stephen. We need to keep the circus going. We need to keep the, the religious, uh, you know, element of the hobnobbing, you know, all of this highfalutin, all of this, you know, keep all of that rolling. Well, if you want that, I'm sure there's plenty of places where you can find that. <laughs> They're going to keep that going no matter what happens. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but if you, if you really want to know the true word of the Lord, your heart has to be in a, in a place where you're hungry for the real thing. Praise God. 
And I'm not saying you have to go out into the Sinai Peninsula. I'm not ha- saying you've got to go out into the, the deep reaches of the Negev and get way out into the Israeli desert or something like that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you're going to have to dig deeper. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Woo! Praise the Lord. Because why? Because there's a lot of politics in church too. There's clamoring for attention. There is vote for me, vote for me. Now they're not saying that, but the behavior and the conduct is no different from that. So often what we see in our political battles every two years or every four years, except in the church, it's just going on all the time. Woo. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Praise God. The Lord wants to manifest his glory. The Lord wants to reveal himself. But so often, he, he needs the wilderness scenario to be established so that you can hear, hear clearly. I've heard a lot of people say, Pastor Stephen, I want revival. But I can tell they don't even know what they're talking about because the moment real revival or a real move of God comes, it dramatically can alter your life. And if you're not willing to go with that, it'll end. It'll end sooner than you can even, just when you think it's going, it'll be over with. It'll be totally finished. Now, Dr. Brian Bailey, he's in heaven now, a very godly man. He had a special anointing that when he ministered, he carried the anointing of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And Dr. Bailey said, after his many years of ministry, that there were only two churches that he ever went to from time to time, where the glory of the Lord was so strong in those two churches, they were both in England, that you could not even sit in one of those churches if you had any type of sin practice going on in your life. You couldn't sit there. He said, it's too hot, way too hot, blistering fire of God in the meetings, in the services. And if you did not immediately repent and get it right, it would get so hot, you couldn't take it. You'd have to get up and walk out. The glory was too intense. Or you're going to get called out publicly through a supernatural word of wisdom or word of knowledge from the pastor, or somebody's going to stand up. And then you don't, you don't, it could be anybody because the Spirit of God's moving. Somebody's going to stand up and in tongues or interpretation, they're going to expose anything going on in there that would not be holy or pure. Suddenly, you, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, I don't know if I want to go to a church like that. Yeah, yeah you, you probably wouldn't <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not really uh, ready for that. Uh, that probably would not be a good fit. You understand that most people choose a church today based upon the children's church. Why? They want to go to church. The parents want to go to church and just drop the kids off and get rid of them. It's not so much, let's go to church where we can be fed learn the things of God, and get strengthened with the Word, and uh, be developed to walk with God. No, no, it's just, let's find somewhere that's got a, a children's program with all the bells and whistles. We can drop our kids off and be free from our kids for three hours. You know, you know, and that's a lot of it, how it functions. And a lot of these churches, they've got all of that figured out. They have marketing techniques figured out. They have all of that. Look, look it was the big show in Jerusalem. They, they knew how to put on the big show. And I'm not knocking uh, large churches or, or large ministries. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I, I'm just trying to say that there is a lot of politics in church. 
And if you want to get into a deeper walk with the Lord, you're going to have to realize there's a lot of chatter, and so often, very, very little of what God would say is in that chatter. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, because any true prophet is going to tell you to repent. They're not going to excuse your sin. They're not going to say it's okay. And it doesn't matter if you're a bigwig, you know, uh, you know, like just like one of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, hey, uh, uh, Lord, the Greeks are here. And he's just like, he's not in the mood for that. He, he's like, unless a grain, uh, a corn, a, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, you know, you, you can't have a harvest. And they're just like, what in the world is he talking about? He's got his mind on paying the penalty of sin for the whole world. He's not really in the mode right now of meeting the Greeks. There'll be plenty of time for the Greeks or for the nations of the world after the resurrection takes place. But until then, he's like, I've got to stay on task and accomplish what I'm supposed to do here. But I'll tell you what, uh, John the Baptist, he was a preacher, and he would tell you honestly what you needed to hear. It maybe wasn't what you wanted to hear, but it's what you needed to hear. Verse 18, and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, being rebuked by him, oh, John, don't rebuke Herod. Maybe, maybe he'll hold a large meeting for you, and he'll let you speak to the royal court. And then we could get your, we could get a picture of you on the front page of the newspaper. Won't that be wonderful? So John, give, give Herod a good word. John, um, he had no interest in that. God had burned all of that out of him. He didn't, he didn't have any respect for that. Now, he had, a, he had respect for people. He had respect for, for office, because God creates offices, and He'll honor the office. He knew that. But He's not here to whitewash things. He's not here to, you know, act like everything's okay when He knows it's not. Look what He did. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Oh, Pastor Stephen, we better certainly not say anything to him. We might get put in prison. Well, you, no, nobody wants to go to prison. We're not trying to self-inflict uh, needless persecution upon ourselves. But John, he had to be faithful to his calling. Mm-mm. And that meant if you're placed in that position, don't compromise. Don't compromise. There have been ministers in America with very large platforms. One in particular, I won't say his name, a couple of years ago, got put on the biggest talk show in the world. And the talk show host asked him, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And he basically said, no. He basically said, there's other ways. Woo! Wow. What is that? That's certainly not a John the Baptist. <laughs> what is that? That's, that's all of the religious politics that go on where you try to get everybody to like you, and then you try to speak something that's, that everybody's going to accept. And you, uh, before you know it, the, the true word is so diluted or so polluted or so, dial, so lost that nobody even knows what it is. So you have to dig to find it. Praise God. I was reading about St. Simeon. St. Simeon, uh, the stylite, actually, they called him. Uh, by the way, a stylitist would be a person 
and I'm not talking about a hairstylist, but a stylite was a person that lived from the fifth to seventh century that would go up on what we would call a large pillar. They would sometimes call pillar saints or pillar preachers, and they would live up there. St. Simeon actually lived on top of a 50-foot pillar for 42 years, and he was quite a preacher. He preached twice a day, and he drew large crowds, but he would always, he would always tell you the truth. He would tell you what you needed to hear, and we need to have more of that today. We need to have preachers that'll just be honest and tell what the Word is. By the way, He was out in the wilderness. Well, nobody's going to go out there to hear Him. If you have the Word, they'll come. They'll somehow start showing up. Praise God. Glory to God. My friends, I believe that God has a Word for you, but you you have to keep digging deeper. That's something that St. Simeon, the stylitist, he he had an angel speak to him, particularly when he was in a monastery. But when he was in the monastery, he just noticed that a lot of the monks really didn't seem to have much of a heart for God, didn't really seem to have that much of an interest in God, although they are monks, but they were just very mediocre in their service to the Lord. But he had an angel that would speak to him and say, you have to keep digging deeper. You have to keep digging deeper. The truth is deeper than what you're seeing right now. There's something deeper that God wants you to get into. And he kept digging, and he kept digging. They eventually, they, uh, they asked him to leave the monastery. They thought he was too, a little too serious, a little too um, aggressive in his service of the Lord. And so he moved into a different phase of ministry and so forth. But eventually, he found his stride. He found his unique place in ministry. And was it unorthodox? Yeah, I, I would say extremely unorthodox, standing on top of a 50-foot pillar and never coming down. And the whole top of the pillar, the diameter of it was only about three feet in diameter, no, no wider than that. Well, Pastor Stephen, that's not even room to lay down. That is correct. He never laid out. He didn't have room to, to stretch out. <laughs> Glory to God. But it doesn't matter where it is or what it is. If, if you can keep digging, you're going to find the Word that God has for you. Is there a place for what we would call the political scene? I think so. There's a place for that. That's where most people live. In the Bible, it's actually called, when I'm talking about people, I'm talking about Christians. In the Bible, it's actually called the outer court. You have the outer court, and then you have the inner court. You have the holy place, and you have the Holy of Holies, sometimes called the most holy place. So it's just, it's up to you where you want to dwell at, where you want to live at. Most people are in the outer court. Most people are saved that are Christians. They love Jesus, but that's, that's good enough for them. They just want to go to heaven. And uh, you're going to find them in Jerusalem. You'll never find them out in the wilderness. But if you really want to find God's word for you, I would just encourage you today, dig a little deeper and you'll find God talking to you, praise God. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the very word you receive could be something that would be a little bit different, praise God. A little bit, well, that's unorthodox. Yes, that's probably God. Hallelujah. Because the, the, the thing that everybody's saying, the repetitive thing that everybody's saying, and then they, had, they try to maybe 
change it just a little bit so that maybe they could have a little bit of distinction, but it's still along the party line. Um, no, that's, that's not where the gold standard is at. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. No more is the real sight of where Jesus was baptized up there by the Sea of Galilee. No, no, wasn't even anywhere near that. You're going to have to go down south and fight through the flies and, uh, you know, dr drive a lot further and, and, and things like that. But there is the authentic. It's always there. May we dig for it. And may we not be satisfied. Maybe we thank God for the other, but may we not be satisfied with just religious politics. Praise the Lord. I felt led to share this message today because if you think national politics are flying high right now, uh, it's the same things going on in the church world. And so you, you're going to have to go deeper if you want to get the real, the real word. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word today. We give you praise, Father, that a true word will always center around repentance, living right, obeying your commandments, and being fully devoted to you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that you're bringing many, many into the wilderness setting in order to hear your word, because so many are not content with what they have been spiritually fed. They know there's more, and so they're left hungry. So right now, I just pray that the Heavenly Father would draw you into the wilderness setting so that you can hear the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I just ask that the hearts of your people that are hungry, knowing that there's more, knowing that they're not getting the full meal that you would desire to feed them with, the full Word, I pray, Father, they would dig and dig and get into the spiritual gold. Thank you, Father God. We give you all of the praise. We thank you for separating the chatter and all of the activity and picking up on the true wavelength of heaven. Now, Father, we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. My friends, hearing the Word of God, as it says here about the prophet John, where it says here in verse 2, it says, the Word of God came to John. The Word of salvation comes by hearing the preaching of the gospel. And as you have heard the gospel presented through Bible teaching, you can now open your heart to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you would like to do that and receive forgiveness of all of your sins, then right now pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I repent of all of my sins. I turn from them, Lord, and I turn to you. Jesus, wash me with your precious blood. I give my life to you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and save me now. Thank you, Jesus. I give my life fully to you today. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen 
and amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's take Holy Communion together today and grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. Praise God. Let's pray over it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the bread, the juice. We consecrate it and set it apart as holy through this prayer. We thank you, Father, that as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you for wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to discern difference, the difference from all the flutter and activity in Jerusalem, and the true word, the clear word, spoken with great clarity in the wilderness. Oh God, we praise you. Now we thank you that as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you for your word, your prophetic understanding coming to us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's agree and say amen. I was in a meeting one time overseas. It was a very large conference. And I knew the speakers except for one speaker that was there for the first time. And this speaker, to me, seemed a little bit out of place. The person was very administrative. The person oversaw a large ministry work. But the person did not know how to flow in the anointing. And so myself and the other ministers, we knew how to move in the, the anointing and operate in the Holy Spirit. But this person didn't, and this person actually couldn't. But nevertheless, they're there at the conference. And you have to, you have to really walk with the Lord because anytime there's the Spirit moving, things are going to happen that don't normally happen in a service when the Holy Spirit's not allowed to move. So the person, it was a lady who was this new speaker. She was scheduled to be up next. She's going to be speaking in like just a couple of minutes. The host of the conference made a mistake. It maybe wasn't even a mistake that he, I, I know he didn't do it intentionally, but a mistake was made. I actually think it was a prophetic slip. I think God allowed it. And so just before she's supposed to come up and speak, the host made a mistake and put another speaker up. He thought, the host thought it's this person's time to speak. He didn't realize that on the schedule, it's her time to speak. So when he made the mistake and called brother so-and-so up, prophet so-and-so up to speak, that lady exploded in anger. She got so angry and so mad. Now she hasn't even spoken yet. Nobody has even heard her minister, but she got so upset. Why? She's a big shot. Don't they know who she is? How dare them do that to me? She stormed out of the meeting, caused a big scene. And, uh, went back to her hotel room, you know, pouting and mad and, and all this stuff. And, you know, cause I talked to the host later about it. He, 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 uh, he and I are good friends. And he said, Oh, brother Steven, she got so angry. She said, she's never coming back. And, you know, we, you know, still gave her a very nice, large honorarium. 
And, you know, we, we covered all of her hotel expenses and covered her international ticket so she could fly back comfortably. And we apologized for the error that we made of putting somebody else in her time slot. We told her it was an accident and it totally was. We didn't mean to do it. So we tried to make it just as good as we could. And I said, I said, you know, I said, I feel sorry for her because the Lord wanted to pull her in into the prophetic and she missed what maybe would have been the only opportunity she's ever going to have to get exposure to the prophetic, to be able to come into that and to be able to know a new dimension in the Lord. And the host told me, he said, yes, he said, I, I saw that also that she missed an opportunity and she allowed this, this slip up to be something that to her was a total trip up. And it was something that she was supposed to overcome, but she couldn't. Why? She was from Jerusalem. She was from the headquarters. And uh, we, we do things differently. Yep. And you don't have God move either in your meetings. <laughs> so she could go back to her, you know, uh, uh, thing that she oversees and runs and uh, talk about all the money that comes into the ministry. They can have all of that and they can be just as dry and dead as they were and are. So, but if you want God to move, you're going to have to have a flexibility in you where you, you're like the wind. You're, you can just go with it. You can move. In old-timey Pentecostal meetings, they would bring the ministers together for these conferences. Who's going to speak? Who's ever got the anointing? That's whoever had the anointing and had that message for that moment. That's the speaker. Well, the, I was on the itinerary. I was on the schedule. That's nice, but it's, it just changed because the Holy Spirit's on that person right now. So, you know, things, things are very different when the Holy Spirit is moving. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Help us to be in that flow. Yes, Father, we thank you for structure. There is definitely a place for that. But, Father, there must be the yielding to your Holy Spirit or else we all become dry bones. And that's no fun. So, Father, we thank you for the joy of your Spirit, the moving of your Spirit. Help us to dig deep in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Glory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Um, this is unusual. I'm getting this from the Lord right now. This is Wednesday morning, and usually only on Sundays do I talk about tithes and offerings. Right now, somebody's watching that you're supposed to sow a special seed into the ministry, and the Lord will bless you. And I don't know who you are, and I don't know what the amount is, but I know it's something special, and it's something that's it's large. It's a larger gift that you're supposed to give, and you have the ability to give it too. And the Lord's tugging on the heartstrings uh, of your heart, and you know that's you. And so if you will honor the Lord, the Lord will certainly bless your seed, and He will certainly bring the harvest into your life in the area that you need it. Praise God. Hallelujah. So go ahead and sow that seed and obey the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. My friends, thank you for joining me today. And dig dig. When I mean dig, that's like what John had to do. You have to get out in the wilderness. Uh, and I'm not talking about, again, you have to go off to the mountains or something like that. But I'm saying dig in your, in your prayer time, your devotional time to 
have the word of the Lord come to you that has no guessing about it, where you know that you know that you've heard from God. So many people right now are prophesying this, that, and the other, and it's all coming out of their soul. I'm not saying that some aren't accurately prophesying. Some of it is accurate, but there is so much, uh, because there's so much political in the natural, that often gets reflected in the church with all kinds of uh, uh, political stuff going on in the church too. And so you're going to have to dig to get the true word of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. And I know you know how to do that, and I know the word's coming to you. When, here's something I've always learned. When the true word comes, you know that you know uh, that you've heard from God, and, it, and things are settled. Things are settled. Whatever that word is, wh- whether it was something you were hoping for, or whether the word shared some things with you that were like, well, that's not the way I thought. I actually had Jesus come to me one time after a prayer session we had a collective prayer meeting, uh, and we all came together. We had been praying often for the, the elections, and the Lord came to me, and He thanked me for praying, but He basically let me know, it's not going to go the way you thought. Uh, but He did thank me for all the prayers that we had invested, but um, I, I didn't want to hear that, but you know what? I'd rather have the truth, and sure enough, the election went in the direction that we didn't want. That's, by the way, not the current current uh, election that works working through. This was uh, years back. Praise the Lord. But I knew at that moment that uh, this is going to go a different way. So you want to have the truth, and God will certainly give it to those who seek Him. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.